This is Fam Electric Ghost. We're live on the air with Nizma Osman for the first time. How you doing tonight? Hey, Phantom. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. We're almost near the end of the year. And uh, you are a songwriter, music producer, and contrarian thinker. And we're going to talk yes, about uh, how you can beat the system. We've actually got that up as the actual um, topic tonight. Beat the system, building a music empire without burning out. And then we also yes. have your website, which is uh, nismaosman.com. And then it has a forward slash call. And I'm sure you can... You can just click on that when we're published, and it will go right to that link. Perfect. And um, people will be able to contact you that way. But uh, we do want to mention <clears throat> we are a featured podcast on Newsly. You can see that icon up there. It says listen on Newsly. And if you use that coupon code of GHOST, they can check that out for 30 days free. Later tonight, we, we will be on Newsly. With the audio version of this podcast, we will be on all the other podcast platforms where you can watch or listen later tomorrow. And so we'll give you a landing page for that. But tonight we'll be talking to you about your experience. Maybe you can give the audience a kind of brief story, your background, so they know who you are and what sure. you're all about. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I kind of got my start young, like most music heads. I, you know, I started writing music when I was just a kid. Uh, you know, my first songs albeit they were terrible, were at, you know, as young as I can remember, like seven or eight. I just got bit by the music bug so young, and then I, I it just kind of kept going. I, I taught myself how to play piano. We had this old piano in my garage, and I would just go out there and tinker. <clears throat> and then it turned into learning guitar, and then it turned into studying songwriting, and then that turned into me kind of figuring out how to produce. And I bought my first little, uh, my laptop and my recording software and my first mic. And uh, it just kind of one thing led to another. And then I ended up studying it uh, in college. And then um, here I am now, uh, now I guess how many years later, five or six years later, post-college. Uh, and I write music largely for film and TV. Uh, so I do sync licensing and it's what I'm really excited about and, and passionate about these days and, and helping other artists learn how to do that as well and, and take advantage of that excellent income stream. Yeah, that's something I've been wanting to get into, but I got so many hats. I'm a software designer. I'm a podcaster and I'm a musician. I'm more of a modular musician. I've been playing since I was 17. I'm 56. Nice. And I just, I just like to create what I call sound experiments where I'm, I would just take everything I've been doing since I was 17, mm. you know, finding Moogs in the, in the, in the um, pawn shop and then yeah. bringing them back to life and then into rolling Junos. And just, I've been around, you know, if you can, if you really, I'm a child in the seventies. So I, I kind of grew up with like the hippie music of the Hendrix yep. and Doors and Zeppelin, yep. saw punk and new wave you know, all those bands. And I just like everything. So yep. my music is kind of like a, a expansive. Like I grew mm -hmm. up liking like everything from Johnny Cash to The Clash, to oh, Miles yeah. Davis, to Sun. Yeah. You know, so I'm just kind of all over the map. And I, when I started a podcast to talk to musicians, you know, yep. back in 2016, this is actually episode 1034. Wow. And we've been on the air since 2016. <clears throat> and, uh, 
Yeah, it's gotten bigger. We've been able to talk. We've talked to some Grammy award-winning producers, and uh, we have some pretty cool people. We've talked to bands from like Japan, Germany, Argentina. Wow! Like, like around the world. Around the world. It's, it's <laughs> just, we just feel that people, creative people, need a place to talk. Yeah. And so that's what we did here is to be able to talk to creative people. And what I was interested in your, your, what you've been able to do is you've kind of cracked that not to get into sync licensing a lot of us who are like indie musicians or experimental musicians we kind of like haven't been able to get into that as much because a lot of our stuff maybe doesn't fit the format and i'd be very interested in figuring out like or having you tell that story of how do you how did you get there yeah absolutely um so my foray into sync licensing actually happened on accident uh it's kind of a cool story when i was 13 I went to a singer-songwriter convention, just a little one that they were having in my town. And uh, they were doing this little you know, talent show. And my friend kind of pushed me up on stage. I was, I didn't really want to do it, but I, you know, I did it. And I, and I sang this original song that I'd written um, maybe a couple months prior. And, um, you know, it went kind of poorly. I messed up a couple lines and, you know, I, you could tell I was nervous, but I did it. And then when I got, when I was done, I went, I went down off stage. And after the performance was over, uh, a publisher came up to me and was like, I think that song is really great. And I want to, and I think it would do really well in film and TV. And I mind you again, I was 13 and I was like, I had no idea what he was talking about. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. Right. Like not knowing, (laughs) you know, I heard film and TV and I was like, okay, that sounds official. So, um, so he kind of helped me get the song, uh, recorded. He sent me up to a, a recording studio up in North Jersey. I'm, I'm from South Jersey. Uh, and that was just a great experience. And then he had this whole band recorded and that, and that song has been placed on, I don't even know how many, probably hundreds of TV shows and f- movies and commercials worldwide since that, since that day back in what was it? 2010, I guess. And so that was kind of my first foray into sync licensing. And after that point, I kind of, you know, it was exciting and it was validating, but it kind of dropped off because I was, you know, I was still in high school and I was kind of finishing being a kid and a teenager. Um, And then years later, when I was just about to wrap up my degree, I was listening to a podcast similar to this, actually. Uh, and the person being interviewed was talking about sync licensing. And I was like, oh, I kind of did that. And I that song is still kind of does things. Maybe I should get back into it. And then at that from that point on it, I just <clears> the <throat> things started to just kind of develop pretty quickly. And, and I kind of started to get some some decent success in that. And so that was now six or seven years ago since I listened to that podcast. And it's just kind of been my trajectory since then more or less it's interesting what i've what i've heard and i don't know if this is true this but there's a, there's a feeling with a lot of like independent musicians that like once people get into singer into that sync licensing like the industry likes to use the same people it seems like oh like interesting that i've heard that and it seems like there's like a barrier to entry for people that don't get the opportunity to kind of get in and maybe is that true or not true but i've kind of heard that and so I want to find out, like, what is, have you figured out a formula or, or a way through the, the, the venues or the, the tools that you use or the distribution networks that you use that you've been able to 
to kind of figure out what the secret sauce is? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's a barrier. It's a preconceived notion that it acts as a barrier for people. Um, so I would, I would say a couple, a couple things and you, you kind of brought up a couple different points. So I'll go one by one. The first thing is that in terms of people liking to work with the same people and it being hard to kind of break in, I would say that it depends who you're working with and it depends on how good you are or how I should say how syncable or music or sync ready your music is when you first approach someone. Because the thing to note about the sync industry is it's really the film and, and TV and ad industry. And they just happen to use music right as the commodity. So what that means is there's a lot more on the line legally. So it's not just like, you know, you're making music and you're distributing it and you're hoping for the best. It's like, if you use an uncleared sample there, yeah, you can be yeah, sued. No, like, it. yeah. yeah, it's not good. Like, so in that sense, I think people like every, like everyone else, they like to work with people they trust and they know who they know, know what they're doing and who they know are reliable. So in that sense, yeah, I guess it's, maybe may a little bit tough to be a newbie, but it's, I guess it's no different than being a newbie anywhere, right? You just kind of have to mm -hmm. earn your, earn your street cred, so to speak. Right. So there's that, but then there's the piece that's like the secret sauce, I would say is making sure that you're prioritizing building good relationships with people and who you're working with makes all the difference in that because there are hundreds, if not thousands of sync licensing agencies. And those are the companies that mm -hmm. pitch the music right on your behalf to these opportunities, uh, the, the, you know, the, the TV shows and stuff. Um, so, but there are so many agencies that you, you might yeah, think, oh, yeah. well, it's hard to know who to go with, but also yeah. you don't. It, there's a preconceived notion that you need to, you know, that it's uh, shooting spaghetti at the wall. It is maybe at the beginning, but really what you want to do is you want to find like two or three agencies that really work with their artists who nurture them, who provide feedback on the music, who, who are willing to put skin in the game with their time, right. In terms of, of helping you develop your sound and, and helping you write good music and then working with those people who are willing to kind of build that relationship with you. That's the most success I've found so far in sync is, is by being less of a, you know, just submit my music on a submission portal and more, let me make relationships with people. Yeah, so it's more like you got a booker or an agent than you're going sort with of. They, like there's a lot of agencies that are basically like websites. Right. You pay your subscription, you put yep. in, and I've been on those where they where they're coming from London or from the U.S. or wherever. Yeah. And those were like throwing in, in at the wall. Those, and, I, yeah, those <laughs> I would say you have less of a chance at success, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Like you don't know how to write music for sync specifically, and you're just kind of shooting whatever catalog you already have. 
Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention you have to pay money to do that. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's kind of, I always recommend people don't do that. Um, not that it doesn't work. I'm sure it works for some people. There's a reason that these services exist, but I always found that I had the most luck actually going out, meeting people, building relationships and just kind of doing the human, going the human route. Now the, with the COVID, was that hard or you, like you were able to do that during COVID or you were able to do oh, that post-COVID? That was like all I did for three months <laughs> from March to June. Uh, I just made music and I, I just had so much fun. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things like, like t- there's a lot of people I know there we're independent musicians and we don't use samples. We like, mm-hmm. I'm a modular synthesis. Yeah. Everything I do is original music. So it's never been an issue clear example because i don't play with samples mm-hmm. and i do very experimental music so i'm doing like fusion yeah you know like stuff that's like you know if you go back in the day it's 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 kind of like um i don't know if you like if you, if you get back into like brian eno type of experiments and stuff like that mm-hmm. so if there are people looking for things that are like hip that have to be like based on the top hundred mm-hmm. like is that more what people are looking for if you're an experimental artist if you were like like Michael Stipe and REM, when they first went on IRS, they weren't the status quo. Sure. Right. If you're like in, if you're like uh, the replacements, you weren't the status quo or a band like Who's Could Do. So if right. you're like a, a a band like that, that's in that kind of not popular music, mm-hmm. is really sync licensing meant for people who do popular music, or can other genres that are more no, experimental, it's... more underground, be able to get in? Yeah. So it's I love that question, and it's. It's open to every genre and subgenre and niche you can think of because the amount of content that's being made in terms of TV shows and movies is equally as wide, right? Like, just think about how many Mm -hmm. I don't, I feel like I go on Hulu and Netflix and there's like a 100 new shows. And I'm like, when did they have time to make all these shows? And they're, and they're so different and they are, you know, some of them are based in the sixties and some of them are based in the 1800s and some of them are based in the future. And it's like, you know, there's just so so much. Yeah. So the variety is so wide. And so that naturally means that the demand for the variety in music is equally as wide. Now, of course, if you make sort of middle of the road pop music, you'll probably have more opportunities, but that also means you'll have more competition. Because more, it's more likely that more people make that middle of the road type of music too, yeah, yeah. right? So you know, it kind of equals itself out. So, but if you specialize in something, kind of a little left of center, and you're really good at it, and you learn how to kind of tweak it to work for film and TV, I bet you will find great success if you find the right agency that that pitches that kind of music. Yeah, I've been. Like because I'm a software guy, I get opportunities to like beta test and work with other software people. Right now, I'm in the middle of like working with these guys that are are working with like the Unreal video game engine. Okay, cool. And you know, to license music, and my music kind of fits because I'm I'm super experimental. It's a fusion. It's like it's 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 like Brian Eno. It's like a lot of weird stuff. And yeah, it, it's cross genre, and um, and, and so there's an opportunity for me to 
to to use their capability to to, to be able to create this these kind of loops yeah. for, with original music that aren't samples. Yep. That are coming from guys like us, you know, modular synthesis. Yeah. Or analog synthesis, or experimental electronic musicians. Like yeah. what these, like that Keith Emerson type people like that. Rick Wakeman. I mean, that that's where my Bernie Warhol, that's the people I look up yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so that is not kind of what's going on today. But for video games, they're like soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And so when say, you, yeah. you can score them like that there's a lot of opportunity with a lot of, you know there's independent video game companies just like indie film and yeah. they they need tons of content because yeah, there's absolutely. music that goes with these games and yep. and there's actually the royalty rates are way higher than like spotify oh <laughs> and, yeah and, yeah so i mean it's like a lot of times it's like so then as it goes into the questions like we know streaming is kind of like the radio it, yeah. it kind of gets people to like know your music around the world, but mm -hmm. you don't usually get the big pay check mm -hmm. from that. Yeah. It's the licensing. It's actually, if you're a band, you show up at a gig in New York and I played in New York and Boston, make more money playing a gig right. for an hour than I do in Spotify for like months yeah, or even a year. I make more money just playing a gig. Yep. So like the, the sync licensing, if we, if you open it up, people realize it's like, you know, should you even be playing that game? Trying to trying to run around with your economy line van, showing up at gigs, or or focus on trying to get your stuff into film, TV, and video games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's what I tell. That's what I teach people. I mean, I I, it's all about figuring out, you know, kind of zooming out and saying, all right, what have I been doing? Is it working? Right. If it is, great. How can I do more better? If it's not, what else is out there? And I always just say like. Hey, look over here in the corner, there's sync licensing over there and it's a billion dollar industry or I don't know, maybe, maybe multi-million. It's a huge industry. There's a lot of money being circulated on an annual basis. Right. Um, and just to give you an idea, I mean, you know, sync fees, like the, the one-time payment that you can make, uh, for your song being placed, they range from like, you know, on the low end, like a few hundred bucks all the way up to in the multiple thousands, like multiple hundreds of thousands yeah. sometimes, depending on hired how in big the, the company is. Of a penny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Compar way higher yeah, exactly. than the 0.04. Yeah, .004 of a penny it, exactly. a on the streamers. And now, I don't know if you heard, but now Spotify is not paying yeah. uh, under a thousand plays. Yeah. So, so you there's make even less plays, money to be get, made. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not that that was a big payout in the first place, but I mean, it just goes to show the direction they're heading in. So I, again, I just tell people like, look at what's working, look at what's not working. And this thing, you know, yeah, it takes time. It takes time to learn how to do it. It takes effort to meet people, make relationships, submit your music. But I mean, really the time's going to pass either way. So it's, yeah, you know, it's about like, you know, the synchronization. It's kind of like while I was working with these video game guys, it's like, syncing to that unreal engine or any of these video game engines it is a certain like like technical process and yeah. i'm a programmer and i work mm -hmm. with programs so i understand that and yeah. so there's there's some things you have to do and it, you can get to it through your daw you can get yeah. through it through your, you know but but it still is possible to have like a fusion jazz type of thing that was made like in the 70s that has nothing mm. that was never put through a daw yeah. And still have that be in the background. You don't have to be totally on the BPM. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
because you could have something that's like Velvet Underground. That's not on the BPM. Right? Yeah. You know, Sunra, that's not on the BPM. Right? Yeah. So there's a lot of music that doesn't necessarily have to fit the, 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 the you know, being perfect. Absolutely. Like I, I kind of believe in the happy accident. Yeah. I kind of believe in stream of consciousness, flow state type of recording. Mm. And I'm a big purveyor of just, you know, putting on the multi-tracks and then letting my my modes kind of be who what they are. And yeah. being a modular synthesis, we do a lot of CV experiments or experiments yeah. with the LFOs and envelope generators and letting things build into these sound paintings. Yeah. And they kind of represent point in time structures. Now you can put them into a DAW and mm. you could get them to fit the piece that you're working on. Yeah. But, but when they were created, they were created more like a painter throwing paint at the canvas. Yeah. I you love know, that. So that, that's the type of mindset I have. And I just was always wondering, like, well, are they saying that you can't get your music into sync licensing if it's coming from that kind of place? And it has to be like into a perfect time sync when I think there's other forms that sometimes in movies you might want that emotional kind of weird hypnotic thing or something that doesn't Absolutely. that's kind of off the wall so it doesn't necessarily have to be that pop song yeah or that, absolutely. Song or that edm song it could be something else yeah and the, and another thing is like you know so many artists do this but you can have multiple sort of avatars in your music right like and a lot of art like what I'm saying is a lot of artists, they have their artist projects and then they have their sync projects because mm -hmm. they want to keep them a little separate because maybe they do want to keep their artist project coming from more of a pure place of creativity and truth. And they want it to feel less manufactured. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I, there's probably sync opportunity for that music too. But then what a lot of artists do is they say, all right, well, let me learn this specific skill of writing music for film and TV and then have this separate project where I get to go in and be a little more manufactured and a little more intentional about the choices I'm making based on, mm -hmm. you know, the sync license, the rules of sync licensing. So there's the point is that there's there's it's not black and white. You know, you can there's space for it all and you just have to figure out what feels good and fun and sustainable for you. So it also kind of probably is that that agent or the booking or the agency. Like if you're somebody that's a fusion jazz or you're avant-garde, right. Mm -hmm. And there, there's some indie film or some kind of indie project that needs that. Absolutely. Right? And, be, and like you said, if you're not into pop, like how many people are trying to be Taylor Swift, right? How right. many people are trying to be Beyonce? Right. If you're not even playing that game, you're doing something else. Mm -hmm. You might not have as much competition. And you just exactly. got to find the right agent. Exactly. That can get you into those projects because they do exist as if you haven't been able to, to find them. And so, so what are the, what are the kind of starting points for finding that right person or agency that represent your work? If you know who you are as an artist, mm -hmm. yeah. like, I want to see if I can get my unique vision to be part of this world. Yep. So here's what I say to that. Find some TV shows or movies that use your type of music, right? And depending on how non-mainstream your music is, you might have to go into the, you know, 
the subgenres on Netflix and Hulu, right? Yeah. Um, indie, but find, indie films. <laughs> yeah, the indie films, right? But find some, find some things, find some validation, right? Or proof of concept, if you will. Um, and then what you'll do is you'll go on IMDb, and that that film or that TV show probably has, you know, a record on IMDb. And what you have to do is go into the show notes or the credits and see if you can find the, the music supervisor. Right? Oh. So the music supervisor is the person whose job it is to source the music for the project. For the project. Oh, and there's okay. probably tons of pieces of music on that project. Absolutely. And how they source the music is through the licensing agencies, right? So what you'll do is you'll find the music supervisor and then really you just kind of have to go stealth mode on Google for a little bit. And you can usually find them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can usually figure out what agencies they work with that way. Right. Or you oh, can wow. try to get in touch with them directly. Right. I wouldn't off the bat, you know, send them a cold message with your music. Right. I would, you know, be a considerate human and message them and say, hey, I noticed you worked on this project. I love the I love the musical choices. Uh, just trying to learn, you know, uh, how to get started in sync. Any pointers, right? And then you can start a relationship that way. I mean, maybe not everybody will reply, but but somebody will, right? Mm -hmm. People are nice. They they they're busy, but they they love. Generally, people love to be helpful, you know, especially if you approach it in a respectful way, right? So that's what I would say to anybody who's looking for a starting point. Follow that process until you get a couple conversations going and that should get you where you need to go eventually. Yeah. Cause you're more into the human relationship kind of old school, not just using the net to like throw your, your like LinkedIn resume at some agency right. to actually right. DM somebody, have a conversation, figure out, you know, not, you know, not just cold call them, but try to figure out, if you can, you could approach them and, and yep. not hit them with a hundred things at once. Exactly. To, you're just trying to ask a question. And in what I, what I found what's interesting is the podcasting has given me opportunities. Oh, sure. I, had, I have over a thousand episodes on this podcast and you think of it as like a Rolodex and I've mm. talked to producers and I've talked to other bands Yeah. and I've found out like what labels are on. I know what things they're doing and I've, yep. I've, I've jumped into projects when I've been able to do stuff, yeah, you know, just because of of doing the podcast, I, mean, I got the beta test for SoundCloud. I'm oh, beta cool. testing for this other developer right now, and it's kind of just because I show up, mm -hmm. because I'm consistent, mm -hmm. and because I have people who are into music or into creativity, filmmakers, authors, painters, actors. You know, I have a kind of been able to use that to kind of not as as my general kind of resource. Yeah, because I'm trying to build a community of creators. Yep, absolutely. The podcast, and then that in itself leads to opportunities, and I could get cold, cold people coming talking to me, mm -hmm. saying, "Hey, they want this or they want that." And so I think if you put yourself out there, you can you get into a community or you yep. get into a collective, you can find like-minded individuals, right? And absolutely. so that ends up creating that kind of face-to-face -face or video to video talking. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You got to I love that you said you got to just show up, you know, that's half the battle is just continuing to show up 
uh, especially when you're not seeing results right away. Cause I think that's when a lot of people quit, they quit too early because they put a little effort in, they don't see the results and then they're like, okay, well I must, you know, it must not be for me or whatever, you know, in this, in this immediate gratification society, um, you know, if we don't get results yesterday, we, we feel like they're never coming. So yes, show up. And another thing is there are so many, um, you know, Facebook groups and, and, and little communities like that, uh, that are made for people who are trying to do sync licensing. I mean, obviously I have a, uh, I'm building a community of my own. If, you know, if you choose to work uh, with me, but even if you're, if you want to just do the, the, go the free route, you know, there's so many groups on Facebook to join and just start meeting with people chatting and just start writing songs and seeing where things go. Because when you meet someone, you know, like you said, you meet their whole, you meet by osmosis, their whole network. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a really great and quick way to kind of make moves. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I've always been into um, kind of showing up and also, you know, potentially throwing it at the wall in terms yeah. of the music. Like, like if, if you don't ever show anybody your work, you have no idea. So if you use like right. SoundCloud as your beta test, right, and you put your stuff out and then you get feedback and then I make choices on which songs I'm actually going to put into albums. Sure. Which yep. I, so, you're, so you kind of use that kind of mixtape kind of you know, what the people did, you know, back in the day, you put it, you put the things you think are going to be bangers and you put them on a mixtape and you bring them around the neighborhood. Right. And, you know, the SoundClouds or the neighborhoods or the YouTubes, you put out a clip, you put out a TikTok and then you get, you get the buzz and then you get, you know, but that the buzz don't happen if you're like the painter that's in the loft and you got a hundred paintings and you say it's not ready to go to the gallery. Right. It's never going to happen if you never go to the gallery. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you got to show up. You got to do it. You got to put yourself out there. Totally. Yeah, I mean, because people don't realize, like, William Blake is a great Victorian poet. Like, his stuff was not known in the Victorian age. They found it in a bar. Oh, they wow. Found his, cool. They put the songs of an sense and experience. He was he he didn't really, wasn't a good promoter, but he mm. etched those poems in acid on plates with artwork. Wow. So it became, like, eternal. So he's one of the only Victorian poets that wasn't famous in his time. Mm. It was found after, and people found the songs of an extensive experience. But he had this kind of notion, well, I should make my stuff last. Mm. So he etched it with this beautiful artwork. That's cool. And and I always tell people, like, you know, you think about Lou Reed and the Velvets with Andy Warhol, that was very underground. Everybody who heard them became like producers. Yeah. You know, everybody who heard Alex Chilton and Big Star they got became producers, you know, in, in the whole alternative movement in the in the nineties, late eighties was all inspired by either like Big Star, Alex Jones, Big yeah. Star, or Velvet Underground. Yeah. So you, just because you put you can put the if you put the music out there, people will find it even if it wasn't popular. Yeah, absolutely. It can drive a whole movement later. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I believe as musicians, we're all we all have something to say that somebody else needs to hear. So even if it's not financially motivated, it's, I think it's important to make, make and share the music that's on your heart. So glad you said that. Do you think, do you think people should put a lot of energy into streaming when they know what the, what the payout is or use it for what it's good for and, and do and do sync licensing like combined as a strategy? Or would you say, well, maybe you should put more time into your sync strategy than your 
you're trying to get on playlist strategy. Well, so I'm biased because I teach people how to do sync, but even if from an unbiased perspective, I mean, I'll, you know, I, I try to, you know, walk the talk. I don't put any energy really into streaming because I know that my efforts are better spent trying to land sync placements. You know, I mean, just financially speaking, you know, let's say I make a song, right? And then I have two paths to take. I can put that song on Spotify and hope for the best and, you know, try to and share it on Facebook and TikTok and make a bunch of content and try to for it to get it to go viral and try to get people to stream it. And, you know, let's say that takes me a total of 50 hours, right? Even if that's successful, let's say I get 20,000 streams. What is that like? $3 or something? 30 bucks. Right. 30 bucks. 30 bucks or something. <laughs> right. I can do the same. It's I can do the, I can, Exactly. I can, do, I can have the same song, spend one hour submitting it to my licensing agencies, and then in six months, get a check for $500. I mean, to yeah, me, that's obvious. More bang for the buck. <laughs> yeah. It's, right. Yeah. It's like, kind of like, it's a strategy. Like if you, if you're a band and you play shows. Yeah. Like, would you spend tons of money trying to get on a playlist? Or would you produce your own vinyl and sell it at the show on your merch table with your shirts? Right. Exactly. You're going to make more money with your merch t-shirt and your vinyl signed copy. Even if you only did a hundred or 200 of them, yep. you'll make more cash than you will trying to get that on a, on a thing. Cause even if you got 50,000 plays, yep. even if you got a hundred thousand plays, then don't make any money. Exactly. You make more money selling the CD and the shirt yeah. and a button. I always say, unless you have money <laughs> to spend on ads, right? That can just push thousands of people to your Spotify so that it boosts you in their algorithm and they start putting you on huge playlists. Unless you're at that level, streaming should just be like eh, the side thing, right? And then you mm -hmm. can focus your effort. You should focus your efforts on other sources of income like sync licensing or selling merch or you know, whatever other creative ways people are using now to make money from music. Yeah. Live performing, you know, like, like, yeah. like you know, I got on some sites like that we do live, live streaming and yep. our, our live streaming, you know, put more effort into doing live streaming Yep. than monetizing, selling your t-shirt on these live streams or, or, or your custom album. And so you set it up. So you've got your, sh your Shopify store, whatever you, you set it exactly. up. So you have a store. Yeah, you get a bunch of diehard fans that want to hear you. Yeah, doing like these unplugged or fully plugged out. You know, I've had some bedroom producer concerts where I had bands from like Australia and Sweden and South mm -hmm. Africa, and they played live for three days, and people, you know, sold their merch, sold their T-shirts, yeah. and it was a better experience. Yeah, than trying to get on a playlist. <laughs> yeah, well, also think about like people watch these TV shows and movies that your song's playing on, that's like free exposure. It's actually paid exposure because you, you get paid oh, yeah. to get exposed, right? Cause it's your music's not playing to deaf ears, right? It's people are watching these things. Not, Thousands, not, if not millions of people are watching these things. Right. So they're hearing yeah, the like music and someone's bound to be interested. Right. Well, it's like the reverse. You got people paying to go on a playlist. Right. And they, they're paying all this money and you only got 50,000 plays. Well, that's not, it sounds like a lot, mm -hmm. but like in the world that we live in, you got to get like 5 million, hundred million, yeah. Yeah. a billion to make any money. And even the big artists are complaining that when they get a billion plays, like Snoop Dogg is like, I don't see the cash I think I should get. Yeah. 
So they're like, they're even saying like, it doesn't look like the money I want. And they were like, I don't want nothing to do with it. So they, they're dropping yeah. out of it and going into other things because it's like, it's not even giving them what they got on iTunes. It's yeah. not even giving them what they got when they had the CDs in the store. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to get like, you know, nerdy for a second, it's a basic supply and demand issue, right? Because I don't know if you know this, but there's about, and this don't quote me on this number, but it's about 40 to 50,000 songs are uploaded to Spotify per day, right? So yeah, to say that the competition is fierce and the supply severely outweighs the demand is an understatement. So you have to you have to figure out a way to to rise above the noise so significantly that you're reaching those high 100,000s millions of streams, right? Or you might as well refocus your efforts until you like I said have the capacity, the resources to maximize streaming in the way that you would actually see a return. Yeah. I mean, you have to have like a whole machine marketing machine to make yeah. this to hit the billion streams. Yeah. And even then the big stars are saying like, I'm questioning the accounting on these billion streams. Right. <laughs> you know, so even the big guys, like even when they get it, they're like, that's still not where I'm getting my money. I'm getting right. my money with this deal with this, with this, this uh, you know, liquor company or with yeah. the, with soda company or with right. the, the, the clothing company. I'm making right. more money doing that than I am for my music. And it's kind of sad that music has been devalued to the point where there was a point where they had a $16 CD and you got so much money from it. You got maybe right. $1, dollar, $2 if you're a big guy. Right. If you weren't a big guy, maybe you got 30 cents. Right. <laughs> but, yep. but, you know, at least you got something. And that's where Prince was making all these arguments back in the day. And people were saying, what are you talking about? Well, he was talking about something real. Yeah. About owning the master. Yep. And understanding, like, well, if I own the master, when they license it, I'm going to get the money. If I don't yep. own the master, then I'm not going to get the money. <laughs> yeah. Which is why Taylor Swift re-recorded all our music, right? Yeah. Just to yeah, comment. This, yeah, that was that. like why Prince did what he did. Like, he yeah. started going direct. He, he yeah. was one of the first guys that did his own website. And I was... One of the fans, I would get Prince albums and he would have like, you know, maybe 10,000 copies, very rare things. Yeah. A big star like him was selling direct. Yeah, that's awesome. Very low <laughs> output. And, you, and I, now, you know, it's amazing that what such they a Prince did. move. <laughs> it was so cool, though, to actually get this like very low volume stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you I, feel like you have something special. It's like yeah. a, it, getting something from the replacements of Who's Kadoo. Or yeah. REM when they were on IRS. It was like like he was operating like an indie band. Yeah, right, right. And I'm like, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He was telling, he was forecasting the future <laughs> of music. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause like, you know, I'm always looking, you know, to try to find like the heat in the underground. And yeah. there's still a lot of cool bands in the underground that still do it. They oh, still yeah. come up with but MTV isn't playing music. And so, like, you, you you get it from wherever you get it from. But yeah, it's just it, there is a cool, you know, underground. I've, I've been talking to like bands in Germany and Iceland yeah. and Netherlands because I'm in the synth stuff, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of stuff, a lot of synth energy is coming from like Europe and Japan and places like that. But it seems like, you know, if if you think you're gonna 
you find that scene like CBGB scene anymore. It just seems like, oh, maybe that's not there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so this the sync licensing is the, is the new scene for the new world. Right. But you still like you might have like you're you want to show up at, at the Eurorack convention, right? right. The, the, you want to show up at the at the synth head convention in Norway. Mm -hmm. and, and and you and you go, you still do things like that, and you can live at a lower level. Like if you right. don't have the expectation that you're gonna sell a million units, right? If you can survive on selling fifty thousand units or ten thousand units, but you're getting all the money, right? Then you can have a different paradigm and you can be sustainable. But if you you're setting yourself up that you think you got to be making like X, right? That's the problem, I think. Right? Yeah, that's true too. Because their success is, you know, it's a spectrum. It's not all or nothing. And so, and that's another thing that I uh, that I coach a lot on is setting reasonable expectations and also defining success for you for yourself because. You don't, I think there's a lot of pressure in this kind of age of, of viral, you know, that if you don't, if you don't land it huge, then you're not successful at all. And that's just not true. You know, it, look at, you know, we don't go to the pizza shop down the street and say, because they're not pizza hut, that they're not yeah, successful, they're not good, yeah. you know, or they're not good. Right. Like they're great. They're valuable. They're small business. They're they're crucial to the health and, and happiness of the community. Right. Um, so it's just a matter of figuring out what that needs to look like for you to feel like good in, in yourself, you know, and then managing that as, as you go along and, and also allowing it to change as you, as you grow and change as a person. Yeah. Cause you get a lot of bands. I like the, you know, Yolo Tango, you know, they're not the biggest band in the world, but they're very consistent yeah. with their output and they show up and they know who their, their audience is. Yep. And they're, ne they're never going to try to get into the top 10 intentionally. They do what they do. Yeah. And the fans are into them. Like any of the bands I, I was into, like the Hushkadoos, the replacements, the REMs, you know. Yeah. It's like that. Like there was a certain level that they, they would go to and, and they, they, they still learned how to, how to exist. Yeah, because I think they just found like that kind of sweet spot. Yeah, where Bob, Bob Mold and Westerberg, they found a, a spot where they could still yeah. be artists. Totally, and they didn't have to be, you know, everybody's artist. Right. They they're 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 fans' artists. <laughs> they're their and own artists. A, I think people don't realize the level of sacrifice you have to make to be everyone's artist because. You have to, and I mean, I obviously I'm not saying this from experience, but just from kind of being in the music industry, as long as I have been, if you, the more people you want to appeal to, the more, you know, the less, uh, the less of a statement you can make because yeah. you'll be more divisive. And so you have to consider that as you go along your journey and think, you know, well, if I have to water down who I am and to to appeal to more people, maybe that's worth it to some people. Obviously it is, right? But yeah, yeah. I think for many people it's not. And that's not a sacrifice they're willing to make in order to just, you know, reach that level of popularity. So it's just yeah, if you've got about. a vision, if you got the vision, like Prince was the big example. Like he one of the most experimental popular musicians ever to be on the stage. You know, yeah. He's like at the level of like a Sun Ra or Davis. Yeah. Right. Miles Davis or Coltrane or Hendrix. 
And he would choose not to be popular. Mm. He would choose to do the work he wanted to do. Yeah. You know, he could just replicate it, Purple Rain over and over because he could have done it note for note. Yeah. He didn't want to do that. And there are artists like that. You know, the guy, yeah. one of the greatest bands, like jazz bands I ever, like, not everybody into it, but Sun Ra from like 58 into the 80s. Mm. They, you know, amazing bebop, funk, fusion, experimental jazz band. One of the first yeah. bands to use synthesizers. Yeah. Everybody today that's like, like the tons of artists are inspired by them, but they weren't commercially that successful. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they weren't good. Right. You know, they're like one, they're an iconic kind of canon level band now. Yeah. People look at them like the Velvets, you know, in rock. They look at yeah. Sunrise like, wow, this this foundational band. But they weren't making that, they weren't in the big top reel of the day. You know, right. they were, you know, that's not what they where they were, but they did yeah. what they wanted. Yeah. And I bet that brought them a certain level of satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can, you can put your vision; it doesn't have to be diluted. Yeah, and then then you and then if you can take that vision and actually get into something like sync licensing, that's that that's cool because that could actually start affecting the world because like, yeah, if you can get your song into some popular TV show. Yeah, and it's not Brand X; it's not the typical thing. It right. can start to change. The taste, so it ends up being like as foundational right. as like the talking heads coming out of CBGBs, yeah, or the totally. Ramones coming out of CBGBs because, or Blondie coming out of CBGBs because yep. now you've changed the musical taste in a different way. You kind of came right. out from the other way, and right? Then you could end up getting on the big playlist, right? Like, like coming that way, right? You can spin totally. around. You come from the other side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. There's a, there's so many ways to slice and dice it and to to come at it. Um, but yeah, that's, and, and that's, uh, another thing I tell people is sync writing for sync licensing. There is a certain level of, you know, manufacturing you have to do, but mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you need to sacrifice authenticity. As a matter of fact, if you, if you write inauthentically, it comes across as mm -hmm. trying too hard to write totally. music for film and TV, <laughs> and it ends up working against you. You know, because think, because remember, like, what is the role of music in film and TV? It's to, it's to help the Move. listener understand exactly what they should be feeling, what the characters are feeling, what's going on emotionally in the scene, right? Mm -hmm. So it has to feel authentic. People have to be able to connect to it uh, in a real way, you know. Yeah, and you got to feel it. Like whatever, yeah. whatever you're composing for, if you feel it, like it's like it's kind of like this. It's like your audience. Like people say, well, if I'm a musician and I'm on, I'm during the COVID yeah. and I don't have my audience, <clears throat> then I don't know if I'm hitting it or not because right. I don't get the feedback. Right. So it's like, it's like you watch that piece of film or you watch that ad and you have to feel it. And if you're, if you have enthusiasm and you don't feel like it doesn't feel like it's forced, right. if it feels like it's natural, even though you might've had to, be like Steely Dan and go over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> like those guys are like famous for being very, very, very tight on their compositions and mm. very, very know what they want. And if they don't hear it, then they don't get it right. They, they kept on working on it to refine it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's authentic. Like you mm -hmm. listen to Steely Dan, that's really highly composed. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like other things. Yeah. Right? So you can still, you can still do that. You yeah. Know, my opinion, I think you can still, have your impact and have that kind of power, you know, yeah. of your own vision. Absolutely.
That's cool. So like you're, you're building a business that's, uh, you know, at its heart is creative and then yeah. gives you freedom Yeah. in a world where people say, well, music, you can't make money from music and you're flipping that. Yeah, you are right on its head. <laughs> well, that's cool. Cause the people like, like everything, like, you know, my daughter's a graphic designer and like everything that's out there has to have graphic design, you know, yeah. graphic design that has to be done for everything. And it, you know, initially she didn't know if she was going to be able to, you know, how much work she would get. And I see it's tons of work. Yeah. Right? And it's like, you have to like push things away. You get, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity once the door opens, like yeah. once you get out there and people know your work. Absolutely. You just got to start, you got to start somewhere. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you have to have, you have to go into it with the mindset of knowing that there's going to be a learning curve and that you're not going to have success, you know, right off the bat. It's not the, it's not the viral post sort of mm -hmm. thing. You know, it's, it's a long-term commitment to the success of your music and the, the financial success of your music. But once you get in it, you know, and you get moving, it's kind of like starting a new gym routine. Like there's going to be so much yeah. resistance at first, but once you get in it and you start doing it, flow. you're going to yeah, get in the flow. Back. You're going to feel good. You're going to see results, but it takes, it takes time. It takes that initial period of like, Oh, this sucks. <laughs> you know, uh, before you start to really feel like you're getting in the flow. Well, I think if you're a musician and you're creative, you everybody knows about how many takes we take, you know, when we're doing stuff, right? Yeah. So how, how, like if you're a dead, I mean, I've been playing since I was 17, I didn't give up. So I know, I know a, a little bit about that. So, yeah. so, so the amount of, you know, if you're going to spend a lot of time taking, uh, you know, doing 50 versions of a song, mm -hmm. right? If you're going to do, if you're going to go and learn different genres and push yourself, it's the same thing. Like if you're going to go like, well, I'm going to go do bebop and I'm going to push into fusion jazz and I'm going to go and try to do this, like, like, you know, alternative thinking like Coltrane. In fact, like, well, I'm going to try to approach my guitar, like Coltrane approaches the horn, mm. but that's going to take time. Yeah. Right? It's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. It, it's not going to happen right away. So yeah. if you think about the project that you do, it's like, if you put as a creative person, you put so much effort in trying to create your unique piece of work. Since to me, it's like the same effort if I have to learn how to fit into this paradigm yeah. to get picked up. It's like it's the same work I did when I'm trying to paint my own, have my own vision. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it all it's all it's all process, right? And and I mean, I I like to tell people like you're gonna put the effort either way, right? So you might yeah. as well invest in something that has a better chance of a return can be as simple as now, that now typically just a question is like what's the average length of a lot of the pieces that you're actually marketing and actually been selling i mean anywhere between two and four minutes it's mm -hmm. nothing nothing unusual that's cool yeah it's good to know because i'd wonder because some people are like boys that like 30 seconds is it like 60 seconds I mean, here's the thing though i mean and we i we t i teach on this fully but you have to kind of write music and when you said 30 seconds this made me think of this you have to write the parts of your songs um i mean th and this is if you're writing more you know mainstream music uh you have to write them with very distinct sections so that the music editors can more easily you know slice it up and fit it slice, into the nice amount. exactly yeah. so it's just something to note but there there are some opportunities i've seen where they're requesting 
just 30 second spots. Um, and those are fun because you only have to write 30 seconds of music. Uh, okay. But uh, for the most part, they want full songs, full uh, songs. At, at least two minutes, you know, with a f at least a full cycle of, you know, intro, verse, chorus. Oh, like a traditional song starts out the one that could like we, we have so many beat focused songs today. Yep. They kind of go back to the 70s. You had songs that have intros. They yep. have, you know, all, all, you know, they have an alternative melody and they get you know yep. you, you, you can do a band like yes you got a seven minute song with like you know every piece is like there's a movement right you know, bands right. like dances like that i'm into like they had very defined kind of classical movements yeah you know key changes rhythm changes timing changes very complex pieces right yeah so but you know even if you go back to a carpenter song where they have the hook you have the intro you have the outro you yep. You have structure, but some songs today don't seem they seem to be like more like bangers. They're like beat. It's a beat. It's focused. Doesn't have a lot of variation. Yeah, that's true. So are and they I mean, looking for more variation, or are they looking for like bangers? They're looking for. I mean, there's it's a variety, right? So it depends on the scene. It depends what they're looking for. But for them, as a rule of thumb, you want to give them as much as many hooks as they can to work with because. Mm -hmm. That means, and then this is more for ads, right? So writing for TV and movies is different because it's more story and narrative based, whereas ads are very emotion driven. Like they want you to feel a certain thing when you listen to yeah. the ad, right? So, um, so yeah, there's there's a there's a difference there. But once you you gotta just kind of get in it and and learn it, and then you get a feel for kind of the what pictures. they're looking for. Yeah. I remember when I saw some pitches, they would like they would have references and say, yeah. "Listen, I want it to sound like this," mm -hmm. and I want the you know the intro to be like this, and out to be like this, and they would be very very specific of what they were looking for. Yep, and they would tell you like this is the scene, this is the feeling, kind yep. of overall a lot of adjectives and like adverbs and very very kind of like oh it was like oh like I'm I'm like uh, you know like Star Wars composing. Like yeah. watching Star Wars and trying to build up. So when there's a, they, right. they're going to go in the trench, I'm going to get the build up. I got to build that up. Right. You know, and video right. games are like that too. Yeah. If you have to compose for a video game, you're like you get an opportunity to maybe compose for like an hour. Right. And then you're, you're watching the scenes like films. Yeah. And you have like these, like these, like, it's like ocean waves, it's like flow that things get exciting, things building up and you're building up and then you crash, go back down. You, yeah. You know, like, yeah. The dynamics. Yeah. yeah. You know, the and that's all, that's another note. Things. Yeah. That's another note is that writing for film and TV in terms of sync is very different than writing, like composing music for films. Uh, mm -hmm. Like that's a whole different thing. Right. So like, you can study film composition and this is not that this is writing songs and then they're placed underneath scenes um sometimes like between yeah. com composed pieces um but yeah you've but seen yeah. the music directors don't mix things you, you might yeah. start off with a carpenter song and then sag right. into some other song exactly yeah you know I mean, just, some, just yeah. next time you're watching a, your favorite show change your attention to listen to the music you mm -hmm. know and you'll notice how it all kind of piece gets pieced together and you'll notice that the songs aren't they're they're not, they're not played start to finish. No, know, they, they sliced snip. and diced and yeah, yeah they're for for effect. Like they're exactly. looking for that lyric to match the dialogue, exactly. match the feeling of the scene. Exactly. Or if it's instrumental, that you know they're trying to, you know, it's melodramatic. Somebody's walking yep. on the beat. Somebody's crying. So you're doing something 
there it feels like a little bit like film if you're trying to make you're doing instrumental less than voice like if i am yep. a synthesis i can do a lot of stuff with layering tons of sense mm -hmm. if i sound very orchestral yeah or i could get very funky i could get very layered or i could get kind of off you know otherworldly and be like yep. oh i'm in space it's like some spacing but like depending on the feeling you know, so, so are there are a lot of opportunities for the for the songs with the vocals or the songs without the vocal. You know, total instrumentals. I would say equal, but most people, most editors or or supervisors are looking for songs with vocals because it, they have the option, right? Because you can always mm -hmm. take the vocals away and use just the instrumental, but take if you off. just have an instrumental, mm -hmm. they don't have a vocal to work with. So I know it's an added. It's a much, it's a, it, it complicates the process and adds a lot more work, but um, it also helps really tell the story um, of the song too. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So having a full song with that, giving them the option to, to mute the vocal track, they can just exactly. choose to mute it or not. Exactly. But if they hear something that they don't want that vocal, they could, or they could have somebody else sing it. <laughs> yeah true if they, yeah. if they like if they like the so is there is is that like a thing where somebody likes the song lyrics but doesn't like the person singing it would they actually go and then have somebody else sing it they would just probably send it back and say you need a different vocalist on this <laughs> before they even used vocalist. it you know actually have you go and do it yeah oh, they, so would they, either, they don't like, go well, and change it out no because they I mean, that's like a, a rights issue, right? Like they would need permission and that's mm -hmm. like, they they just won't accept it. The agency won't accept it into the catalog. They'll come back to you and just say, you need to get a different vocalist on this. You know, it doesn't happen often though, mm. at least in my, in oh, my experience, but I'm sure it happens. That's cool. Yeah. But you get well, good at it as you go, you know? Well, I think I, I want to let people know again with that link we have for you, uh, Nisma. Uh, Nisma Hoseman and um, Osman, and uh, then you can click on that, and you'll maybe you can tell people if they click on that for that call. Is that what they sign up for? They get a call with you. To, yeah, to you? we just we just chat. I mean, I'm in the business of helping musicians escape burnout um, and learn better ways of making money from their music. And you know, if you click that link, just a simple 15 minute Zoom or phone call and we'll just chat and I'll see if I'm the right person to help you. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I think there's a lot of musicians that we've had on the show that want to get into this and probably don't yeah. know the first thing about starting and wondering you know, like the pitfalls are like, whoa, I don't know which agency to go to. Yeah. I don't know how to start this. So like, yeah, if, if you can give people that kind of advice, I think there's a lot of people will be checking, checking you out. We go through everything and it's a, it's a one year it's a one-year program where I'm taking you step-by-step step through it all. And uh, we we get it done. We do some good work. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, I might, I might take part in myself if I open up my schedule. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But um, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It was uh, a yeah, because it's like you never know when there's, when there's an opportunity. You know, you ha this is a cool thing to get into. It's, uh, you know, very entrepreneurial. And a lot of us as musicians, that's where our spirit is. Yeah. And we have that creative spirit. But you, you want to be able to have your piece make money. Yeah. At the end of the day, Absolutely. most musicians, oh, it doesn't matter. It's like, what well, does matter? You, you do want people to like it. You want people yeah. to, to get into it. And if you can actually, you know, show in value by getting paid mm 
mm-hmm. is not everybody's goal, but it makes you feel good. Yeah. And can right. keep you going right. and, and buy that next money. guitar <laughs> or your next bass or your next horn. Or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or more equipment for your studio. Like, yeah, like, why not? Why not? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> but thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Phantom. It was night. a pleasure. All right. You too. Bye.